Turn in your Bible to the book of Nehemiah and then the book of Philippians. Nehemiah and Philippians. You say, what do those two have in common? I'll share that with you in a little bit. Today, we're going to finish up a series that was interrupted by Harvey. How many of you know Harvey interrupted a lot of things? How many of you had, you know, you know where Beverly and I were going to be? We, we got a, an invitation to, to Orlando, Florida, free week in Orlando, Florida with our friends, the Canancers at a, uh, at a four star resort that had been, uh, donated to them and they had an extra bedroom and, uh, they invited us to go. And, and so I thought, well, that's going to be pricey getting out there. And so I Googled flights and Beverly and I had, uh, uh, round trip tickets from Houston to Orlando for $218 for, for both of us. And so we were supposed to be out there. I'm telling you, Harvey interrupted our vacation, didn't he, Beverly? I'm telling you. And uh, Sonny Canancer had the uh, audacity to uh, text me yesterday and tell me they're going back and we can't go. Uh, that just bummed me out. Harvey inter- in- interfered in a lot of things, but we've learned to flex and cope and be able to deal with that. Inter- inter- uh, interrupted our series, Heaven Heroes, Life Lessons from Old Testament Heroes of the Faith. And so we're going to try to get back on track. Uh, and I'm going to finish up. We're going to talk about Nehemiah in just a little bit. But then next Sunday, here's fa- here's part two. Are you ready? This is very. This is a new series, hot off the presses. Get, guess what? It's Heaven's Heroes, life lessons from New Testament heroes of faith. So we're going to go to the New Testament. We're going to look at some Bible characters, uh, and uh, and some of them were really characters. Uh, Peter was a character, but he was a hero of the faith. And so next Sunday, we begin looking at, at New Testament heroes of the faith and learning life lessons from them as well. And that'll bring us nearly up to the end of the year where we get into the holidays. Uh, how many of you are ready for the holidays, ready for Thanksgiving? And, and you know, there's some things we normally do around here for Thanksgiving. We usually turn this into a big brunch. You remember that? I'm not sure how that's going to work uh, next this Thanksgiving because we have a church here that meets at two o'clock. And so we got to figure those things out. Uh, and so, uh, but hey, God, everybody say God is good. Tell somebody around you, say God is good all the time. Amen. Now I want you to do something with me. I want you to open your hearts to hear what God is saying today, because I believe today God's speaking to his church. Amen. So let's open our hearts. Lord, we open our hearts to hear what you're saying to us. Lord, in the middle of this traumatic world we live in, Lord, speak to us clearly. Let us find the directive of God for our lives in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Nehemiah. Have you ever read the book of Nehemiah? You should. You should read really all the books, but uh, really, in fact, our suggested reading is Ezra in Nehemiah. Uh, and here's, you know, today when we look at Nehemiah, we're going to look at this thought, uh, finishing God's unfinished business. Uh, how many of you know God has some unfinished business that he wants to tend to, and he wants to, he wants to work through you and me. Everyone say unfinished business. Now, some of you, you, you saw, you know, some, I don't even know his name. There was a kind of a hubbub going around, uh, that Jesus was either coming back yesterday or that, uh, there was, I, I didn't even read it. There was planets supposed to collide and a comet and, and, uh, you know, and, and everybody, you know, I don't know how it worked, but something traumatic was supposed to happen concerning the end of days yesterday. Jesus didn't come back. If he did, we all missed it. 
Okay. It wasn't on Facebook. So man, somebody would have got a picture of it or a video of it. It didn't happen. Uh, so evidently there's some unfinished business. Everybody say unfinished business. There's things that God has for us to accomplish, things that God has for us to do and fulfill. And Nehemiah is a story of God uh, bringing some, some restoration and some finishing, some unfinished business and bringing things back to their original purpose of being. And so that's Nehemiah. And I want you to read Ezra and Nehemiah because Ezra and Nehemiah were contemporaries. And so you put them together because they worked together. In fact, I didn't realize this until I started digging a little deeper in the early, early days of the Bible being formulated, Ezra and Nehemiah were considered one book. And so they, they eventually separated them. And, and, uh, I don't know how that all works, but God's in charge. Everyone say Jesus is in charge. He really is. And so they're contemporaries. And so the kind of the historical background is that, uh, you know, the children of Israel were under Babylonian captivity. We looked at Daniel. Was that last Sunday? We looked at Daniel. And then uh, you fast forward a little bit. Persia overthrew Babylon and it left kind of Jerusalem and the children of Israel kind of just hanging a little bit because Persia wasn't as, 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 uh, um, uh, in, they didn't enslave the children of Israel the way Babylon did. And so, uh, but, but Jerusalem and the children of Israel had been disheveled. They were a scattered people. How many of you know they've been scattered a lot? Okay. The people of God have been scattered. And so that's the scenario. That's what's kind of going on in Ezra and Nehemiah. And God uses Ezra to, to really speak to the spiritual condition of the people and bring about a restoration. How many of you know trauma can undermine you both physically and spiritually? And so they'd been long-term trauma under the Babylonian captivity and they were traumatized. In fact, uh, um, when you get over to the beginning of Nehemiah and you can turn there, when you get to Nehemiah, it says the survivors. Everyone say the survivors. Today we're, we got a group of survivors. I see Shannon and, and Shelly back there. They're survivors. They need a t-shirt. We survived the flood of 2017. Uh, I, I, <laughs> how many of you think God, you're a survivor? Amen. Uh, and so they, they had been traumatized. Uh, and Ezra speaks to their spiritual condition and he brings, uh, you know, the word of the Lord into the, into the, uh, the mix. And Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, uh, God used him, uh, put the burden of the Lord upon him to go back to Jerusalem and rally the troops, if you will, and rebuild the wall. How many of you that had been broken down by the Babylonians? It says the wall was broken down and its gates were burned with fire. And so that's what's going on and that's what's happening. And this is where Nehemiah steps in. And God used Nehemiah uh, to bring about a massive and miraculous restoration project of the wall of Jericho, uh, pardon me, Jericho, the wall of Jerusalem and bring it back. And so, uh, and so that's what was accomplished in a miraculous 52 days. Everyone say 52 days. Now for you that lost your houses and, and lands and resources uh, in the flood, uh, you know, it's kind of backwards because, you know, I've heard people say, you know, the clean out process needs to be a hundred yard dash. You got to get that stuff out in a hurry. 
and get it ready to be restored. But then the rebuilding progress and the rebuilding process is a marathon. I mean, it's, oh my gosh, it's, it's going to take a while. Well, in, in this day, it was miraculous rebuilding of the wall and, and, and when it happened, all the enemies of Nehemiah and all the enemies and the naysayers of the children of Israel were amazed and realized that God had done a miracle. How many of you know God's a God of miracles? And so with that in mind today, I want to talk to you, and we're going to look at Nehemiah, and we're going to talk about how to finish God's unfinished business and, and get on with the pro- process of seeing God and his will and work fulfilled in our lives. So let's pray together one more time, and let's ask God to speak to us. God, speak to us today. Open our hearts to hear what you have to say in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I want you to look at Nehemiah. I want to read the first four or three or four verses. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaleah. It came to pass in the month of Cheslev. I've never seen that in our calendar, but I assume it's the Hebrew calendar. In the month of Cheslev, in the 20th uh, year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived. Everybody say survived. They survived the captivity, speaking of Babylon, and concerning Jerusalem. He said, how are the people and how's Jerusalem? Uh, his, his concern was twofold. How many of you know God cares about people and, and he does care about our property? He does. He, give it to, he gave it to us. It's his. How are the people and how's Jerusalem? And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. Everyone say great distress and reproach. That, that word distress in the Hebrew is calamity. They've experienced a great calamity. They're in great reproach and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And he says, I, I, well, I'll stop on the prayer. We'll look at it in a moment. So, uh, so the burden of the Lord came upon Nehemiah when he heard about the people in distress and he heard about Jerusalem's walls broken down and its gates were burned with fire. He was burdened and began to pray. God laid it on his heart. And so, uh, the story is this. He went back into the presence of the king with a downcast face, which was not good for him because if you went before the king, you're not supposed to be depressed. You're supposed to be someone who lifts his countenance and makes him happy. And so here's his trusted cupbearer with a downcast face. And uh, the king asked him what's going on and why was he so downcast? And he shared his burden. Long story short, King Artaxerxes gave him really a blank check to go back to Jerusalem and do whatever he could to rebuild the wall. And that's what happened. And then the miracle, of course, was realized. And so with that in mind, I, I want to give you a, a memory verse for today that really it's not, it's from Philippians. Uh, and, and this applies to us about the work that God has for us and the work that he wants to do in us. It's Philippians 1, 6. Let's read it out loud together. Everyone together being con- everybody. Are you ready? Everybody ready? 
Here we go. Everybody together out loud. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let's read it again. Philippians 1, 6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Say it one more time. Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I really want to encourage you to take that to heart. God wants to finish what he started in you, and he wants to finish what he started through you. How many of you know it's a cooperative effort to accomplish the purposes of God? We don't sit back and play fiddlesticks and, and tiddlywinks and just wait for God to do miracles. He's a God of miracles, and he did a miracle there with Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the wall. But guess what? He used flesh and blood for the miracle to flow through. You see, God doesn't just want to flow to you. He wants to flow through you. Could I get a better amen? He wants to use you to, to be his hands extended in the world to finish the unfinished business that God has for us. And there's unfinished business in the world we live in. How many of you know people, anyone who's still lost and without Christ? They need Christ. That's unfinished business. How many have family that need to turn their lives over to Jesus Christ? We have unfinished business. And so God wants us to finish what he started. Uh, and, and he wants to work not only in us, but through us. Uh, and so you take this memory verse, being confident of this very thing. Everybody, everybody lift your head up and say, I have confidence. Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let me just stop and say this. Uh, uh, I want to say this especially to those who have been ha have suffered great loss, Bubba and others in this flood. I want to tell you this, Pastor Ron. Pastor Ron has a lot of little one-liner sayings that are just real truth in my heart. And one of them is this. You can come out of a hole in a hurry. Everybody say that. You can come out of a hole in a hurry. Say it, Say, I can come out of a hole in a hurry. You really can. And I want to, I want you to realize that, that you look at your circumstances and you go, man, I don't know how this is ever going to happen. When God gets involved, you can come out of a hole in a hurry. Uh, uh, Amanda, you can come out of a hole in a hurry. And, and, uh, she lost the whole bottom floor of her house and all those possessions down there. Hey, God is in charge. Somebody say God's in charge. So with that in mind, let's look at Nehemiah. Let's think about some things that came into play that allowed this miracle of restoration and completion to take place. I just want to show you. And again, I want you to read through Ezra and Nehemiah this week. Everybody say Ezra and Nehemiah. Come on, we need the. In fact, let me just say this. The children of Israel here, uh, when they went through this process, they were working hard. In fact, one verse says the strength of the burden bearers was failing and there was much rubbish and they were unable to keep going. I'm telling you, it was hard. It was hard work. There was trouble from within and trouble without. Uh, and it, it, it wasn't easy. There were, there were resistance in their life, but God brought about the miracle. And then in, in, uh, uh, Nehemiah eight, they all gather together and they're still kind of befuddled, even though the wall had been rebuilt. They're still, and, and, and Ezra gets in and he starts reading the Bible to them. 
they all start listening to the Bible. They start hearing about the promise of God and the hand of God upon them. And then that's where Nehemiah steps in. He said, listen, you need to uh, drink the sweet and eat the fat and, and, and don't fear. And he said, and listen, let me just throw this out at you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I know you've been traumatized. I know this has been hard. I know you, 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 you've experienced problems and, and troubles, but let me tell you, there's something good God's up to you, up to in your life. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. So here we go. Let me give you some thoughts about this restoration process and finishing God's unfinished business. The first lesson I see from Nehemiah is that completion requires some things. If you're going to finish what God wants us to finish, if you're going to complete a task, is there anybody here that you have a hard time completing a task? You get it about two-thirds done and you want to do something else and, and, and you want to move on. we got to finish what we start. And here's some, some important insights about completing what God begins in our life. The first one is this. Completion requires a real compassion and a commission from God. You look at Nehemiah and you realize he, he, he was heartbroken over the people. Listen, I've seen people who lost everything and it break my heart. I, I walk into people's houses and homes and, and, and see they've lost everything. And I saw over and over and over again, thousands of times over, man, my heart breaks for those people. In fact, uh, I, I, this sounds for you that have lost everything. This, this, you may not appreciate this, but we actually had survivor's guilt a little bit. I felt bad. I felt uh, there was all kinds of emotions uh, running through my, uh, my, my, my psyche trying to figure all of this out. And, 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 but one thing I began to have is a real compassion for people who've lost everything they had. They don't know what to do. They are distressed, as it said here. They are, have experienced great calamity. And Nehemiah had a real compassion. He wept and he mourned and he fell and he prayed. Could I tell you today that if you don't know what to do about your, about the, the world around you, if you don't know, man, what can I do? The needs are so great. The walls are broken down and the gates are burned with pot fire. The people are in great distress and reproach. Listen, the first place it would behoove us all to go is fall on our face and begin to cry out to God and have compassion in our hearts for those who have lost things and, 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 and who are distressed in their life and just begin to pray and seek God in their behalf half could have get a better amen and that compassion led him to a place of commission where his king said to him he basically gave him a blank check and he said you go do what god's put in your heart and listen to me today the church has been given a commission but we lack many times the compassion you reason you know you know the the reason the church doesn't move is because the church hasn't been moved there's no compassion. Jesus, Bible says about him, he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He was concerned for people and stuff and their, and their condition. And that's what happened in Nehemiah. He had a real burden in his heart, a compassion in his heart that just, that, that just sent him to his knees at the place of prayer. And he poured out his heart to God. And listen, if you want to be used of God, just begin to uh, go, fall on your face before him and begin to just be concerned about that and, uh, and about those who Jesus is concerned about. And I promise you something, the commission of Christ will begin to rise up within 
in you and you realize, yes, we're called to gather. We're called, we're called to gather. We're called to grow. We're called to give and we're called to go. God has something inside of us that he wants to release through us, but we've got to come to a place that we care about those who need him. It empowers the commission. And Nehemiah got the compassion in his heart for those who had suffered this great loss and a compassion for the people of God, the people who, who were, who had distressed and were in great reproach. And God used him in a dynamic way. Completion requires compassion and a commission from God. And then number two, completion. Uh, if you're going to finish what God started, it requires confidence and commitment. Pardon me, contrition and confession. Everyone say contrition and confession. Here's an interesting thing about Nehemiah. He, he felt the unction of the Lord over the people of God. When he began to pray, he began to confess the sins of the people because understand something. The reason the people were in Babylonian captivity was not just because the devil was bad. It was because the people were bad. How many of you know, uh, uh, we suffer the consequences of our wrong choices. Are you with me? There's a consequence for the wrong choices and the people of God had suffered the consequences of their wrong choices and that as a result was the Babylonian captivity and they are still suffering the consequences even after they came out of Babylonian captivity and Nehemiah realized that somebody had to step up to the plate and say, God forgive us. And he didn't say they had sinned, he said we have sinned. And he confessed the sins and he cried out to God with great humility and, and contrition. And he confessed. Look in verse 6. Please let your ear be attentive uh, and hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now. Day and night. Somebody say day and night. Oh, man. That, when's the last time that happened? When's the last time it's got so bad in your life and in your world that you just cried out to God day and night? Uh, sometimes I just think it hadn't got bad enough for us. You know, it's, uh, come on now. Some, in reference to people not liking things, that people, I'm starving to death. My wife says that. I'm starving to death. Last night we had a little r- restaurant dilemma. We couldn't figure out, I'm starving. I'm hungry. Well, you want to go there? No, I don't like that. And my, uh, I, I won't say which grandson, but he's very picky. Oh, on, the oldest one, I won't tell his name. He's very picky. And he said, I'm hungry. And I said, well, you want this? I don't like that. He's just not hungry enough yet. You know what I mean? He's just not hungry enough yet. And when it comes to uh, God doing a work in our heart, maybe we're just not hungry enough yet. Maybe we just hadn't realized, man, I just got to get in this place. In this, I'm, I'm so desperate for God to do something that I'll cry out to him day and night, night and day. Until he does a work in my life. And Nehemiah cried out to God and said, we, verse 7, we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Listen, if we're not following in obedience to Christ and the call of God on our life, how many of you just know that's going to exempt us from the blessings of God in our life? 
And Nehemiah knew if we don't deal with the root of the problem here and confess the sins, there's no reason for the walls to be rebuilt and there's no reason for the gates to be rebuilt. There's no reason for the people to, to, to be liberated, if you will, from their sense of desperation. And it begins at the place of contrition and confession. God, forgive us, help us, heal us. Lord, if we've been astray, whatever it is, Lord, we want you to finish what you started in us and we ask you to cleanse our lives. Completion requires compassion and commission. It requires contrition and confession. And number three, it requires confidence and commitment. Somebody say confidence and commitment. Now, I want to tell you about Nehemiah. I wish I knew more about his early years, but I'm telling you, he was a man of prayer. He was a man of commitment and he prayed to God. In fact, when you, when you look at his, his life, he, he, he was in tune with God. And if you look in verse five, notice in the middle of his prayer, the confidence factor working. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, oh, great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night. Now I'm telling you, that's a confident prayer. He knew who God was and he knew how to approach God. And he had a great confidence in his heart. And, and then that confidence was, was made evidence with the people that he dealt with and, and his uh, motivational speaking, if you will. Because when he got into Jerusalem, he began to share with the people. He said in verse 17, he said this. He said, then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we should no longer be a reproach and I told him I love this of the hand of God which has been good upon me I love that man he's feeling good about the hand of God on his life there's a confidence at work in his life I'm feeling good everybody say I'm feeling good oh when's the last time you felt good about the hand of God on your life man you're flowing in the anointing you're flowing in the call of God I feel good I'm feeling pretty good right now I feel good about the hand of God upon my life and man, he began to share with them. Ooh, that's a whole new sermon series right there. The hand of God. I'm feeling, I told him of the hand of God, which had been good upon me. And also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. I'm telling you, there was a confidence. And then the, then the commitment began to come. They set their hands to the good work. And if you looked over in Nehemiah 4, 6, look what it says there. So we built the wall and the entire wall had joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. I'm telling you, they were committed. They got, they got fired up about the faith of Nehemiah and then the commitment level began to rise. I'm going to tell you, when you get faith and confidence in God, you can do about anything. Come on now, especially if you're doing what he's called you to do. My dear friend David Shibley came last Monday to bring a little love gift to our church and Pastor Ron, we had lunch. He bought us Tokyos. Oh, Jesus. I mean, I, I'm telling you, he said, where y'all want to go? I said, are you buying? He said, yeah, I told you I'm buying. We're going to Tokyo's. We're eating sushi, whether you like it or not. Amen. 
And he just spread the love. He poured in the oil and the wine. And then before he left, I said, I, I said, uh, David, I want to take you out to Northwest Forest. You got to see this. I've never seen anything like it. And I took him out there and we drove around and, uh, he didn't say anything. And on our way back, he said, I, I'm, 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 I'm kind of speechless here. And he was in his, and he just, but then when he left, he texted me later. He said, I got a verse for you. God quickened this in my heart. He said, it's found in Hebrews 10, 35 and 36. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you can receive the inheritance. We have need of endurance. We've got to have confidence, confidence to endure. You can't give up. You can't quit. you got to keep pressing forward. you got to keep trusting God. you got to keep believing God and committing that, hey, I'm not going to bail out on this deal. I'm not going to just uh, uh, just quit on God in the middle of the heartache. I'm going to stay true to the end. And if I stay true to the end and I continue to trust God, he will do a miracle in my life. He'll not only work, work, uh, come to me, he'll move through me. I'll be his hands extended to a world that so desperately needs Christ. You know, I've, I've realized this about the community we live in. People, either the worst or the best come out of people in a pinch. And, and I realized that in our community, it seems like the best is coming out and people are caring for one another and they're committed to one another. It requires a confidence. One of the joys I've seen in the middle of the heartache is to be able to see a little hope get in people's eyes when we walk off their property and they looked at a desperate situation and then realized, man, maybe I can rebuild this. How was I ever going to get this far through the help of loving friends and family, people? We've got to be committed and have confidence, have a mind to work. In fact, it says in that Nehemiah 2.18, let us arise and build. And they set their hands to the good work. That The Hebrew there is really, they strengthen their hands. They strengthen, and from a spirit, not just physically, it's really a spiritual strengthening and a stamina that comes upon us. Listen, you've got to be strong spiritually. Paul said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Amen. You see, if we're going to see a finishing of the business that God has for us, we've got to learn from Nehemiah and we've got to realize that completion requires compassion and commission. It requires, it requires commission and confession. It requires a confidence and a commitment. I'm trusting God and I'm committed to see God do his bidding in my midst. And then number four, completion, as Nehemiah learned, requires communion and community. Everyone say communion and community. Communion with God. Nehemiah was a prayer. In fact, if you if we went through Nehemiah, you'd find many places where we prayed to the God of heaven and, and he prayed to God. Even there in Nehemiah 1, 5, he prayed. And then on through the process, he prayed. And every time there was an obstacle, he prayed. He was always praying to the God of heaven. Uh, it reminds me of what Paul the apostle said in, uh, I think, Ephesians. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything or pray without ceasing. There in Ephesians, it says, in other words, pray all the time, more 
morning and night. Be a man or a woman of God who the habit of your life is staying in the presence of God. And listen, if we're going to see God work through us, come to us and work through us and see him complete what he started, we're going to have to stay in, in constant communion with God. In fact, one little instance I, I see, and it doesn't actually say he prayed, but I just have a feeling he did. In Nehemiah 5, the upper elites of the people of God were, were uh, uh, collecting taxes from the lowly, and it was not good. They were, had gotten all way, already back into their old way of thinking, and, and you know, me, myself, and I, and get all you can and can the rest. And the people who were being taxed and burdened came and they, they laid out their, their, uh, uh, issue with Nehemiah and it, it upset Nehemiah. And he, it says this, and after he thought about it for a while, then he dealt with it. I got a feeling he was saying, God, how do you handle this? Because my flesh is wanting to handle it one way. I don't want to react here. He was a man who stayed in communion with God. But he also understood that he couldn't do, it doesn't matter how much you pray and how much you talk to God. You got to talk to people. There's got to be a community. There's got to be a family of God that works together. And he began to deal with the family uh, and with the people of God. And notice this progression. Let me show you this. Can I show you this right here? It's very interesting. Nehemiah chapter two. If you're still with me, Sam, with you, pastor. Look at Nehemiah 2. He goes to Jerusalem, verse 12. It says, then I arose in the night and I and a few men with me. And I told no one of what God had put in my heart. So he just has a few men with him. You with me? But he realizes, he realized I need some friends. I need a few men with me. How many of you know, this is kind of the pattern of Jesus. He had the few he had the 12, he had the 70, and he had the multitudes. Look in verse 16 and, and through 18, it says this. It says, and the officials did not know which I had gone, uh, where I had gone or what I'd done. And I had not told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, and the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, and he begins, now, what's he doing now? He's bringing in the leadership. He realizes I need the few. I gotta have some, I gotta have some, as my Vietnam, uh, friend, uh, uh, Eddie Mitchell says, I need some foxhole buddies. Uh, people you're in the foxhole in the trenches of life with. He had the few. And then he begins to gather the leadership of Israel. And then, the, and then, the, it starts getting bigger. Chapter three, he starts seeing, he starts talking about all the families and all their responsibilities and, and the, and the, and the community's getting bigger and the responsibilities are expanding. And then when you get all the way uh, uh, over to uh, chapter 8 when it's all done it says everybody was gathered together to hear the word of the Lord and, and to hear what God was saying what did Nehemiah do he rallied the community of faith he rallied the people listen if we're going to finish what God has for us to finish we're going to do it together tell somebody we're better together completion requires communion with God and community and communion with the family of God and in the middle of it all, number five, it requires sometimes a chastening and a correction. And that's the chapter six that I was speaking to you about when it, uh, no, chapter five, pardon me. That's wrong. Chapter five, where the unrighteous taxing of the lower class, Nehemiah comes in 
and he rebukes them all. He chastens them. And he corrects them in the middle of the process. Listen carefully. In the middle of the process, most all of us at some point will need correction in our lives and chastening. My Bible tells me in Hebrews that he chastens those whom he loves and brings correction in our life. And sometimes he allows trouble and trauma to come on our life. And that's the way it was with the children of Israel, to bring them to a place of correction back in line with his will for their life. And so in the process of this rebuilding of the wall, in the, in the middle of the miracle, listen carefully, in the middle of the miracle, sometimes flesh and blood can get in the way. And, we, and if we're not careful, our flesh will get in the way of God's supernatural restoration and rebuilding in our life. And we've got to come to a place where, no, 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 no. No, God's in the middle of a miracle here now. And we got, we got to yield to the hand of God and let him correct us. Or we'll miss our moment. You can't be hard-headed in this. You've got to be flexible. And it says this about them. Then the people did according to the promise. They said, we will restore it. We promise. We were wrong. They yielded to the correction of God. And once they yielded to the correction of God, you know what happened? The miracle continued. I wonder how many miracles of completion got stifled because in the middle of the process, we didn't yield to the chastening and the correction of God in our life. Completion requires a continual tuning and chastening and correction in our life to keep us on track. And then number six, lessons from Nehemiah, completion requires contending. Everyone say contending. How many of you know there's contention in any miracle? There's, a, there's an enemy. Nehemiah and the people of God had a number of enemies. One was calamity. Just the calamity came upon them. Listen, how you handle the calamities of life, how you contend with the calamity. Are you going to let the calamity be victorious in your life? Or are you going to be victorious over the calamity? The people, it says there that Nehemiah 1.3, they were distressed. They had, <coughs> pardon me, they had experienced great calamity. That don't work until the lid's off. How's, how are you handling this thing or is this thing handling you? Is this thing working you over? If you're not careful, it will. And I love, I already said it, but Nehemiah 8.10, even after the miracle, the people were still traumatized by the whole, they had PTSD, I guess, I don't know. And Nehemiah said, listen, even if, eat the fat, drink the sweet, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. How do we contend with this? Let me tell you something. The way you don't contend with it is checking out. You can't check out. You got to let the joy of the Lord just wash over you. I've proved this true over and over again in my life. That when it's my darkest hour, 
just worshiping and praising God. That's what they did in Nehemiah 8. You need to read that. They just worshiped God, and they dealt with the calamity on the inside. And if you don't deal, listen, if you don't deal with the calamity on the inside, you'll never be able to deal with it on the outside. They had to contend with confusion. Chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, Sanballat and Tobiah, their enemies, they were jealous of Nehemiah's influence and they were nervous that he was going to completely overrun their little, their little, uh, you know, their little thing they had going. And so they began to, the Bible says they sent confusion. You have to deal with those things. What do I do? How do I do it? I've talked to people, man, it's just like a spirit of confusion on them. Listen, the enemy wants to confuse you in this moment of calamity and keep you from thinking clearly and coherently. And if he can confuse you, he can, he can stifle the progress in your life. Listen, understand something. Let me just throw this out. This is not my notes. This is just from out there somewhere. Listen, when you're in the middle of a calamitous moment and a troubled moment, God's more interested in speaking clarity to you than ever before. He does not want you confused. Tell somebody, tell, tell two or three people, God doesn't want you confused. Tell somebody, God doesn't want you to be confused. In fact, what does the Bible say in 1 Corinthians? It says this, God is not the author of confusion. And Sanballat and Tobiah tried to confuse them. Man, if you can get somebody confused, you can get them off track and out of sync in a hurry. God wants to bring clarity and insight and, and <clears throat> pardon me, and, and vision and direction into our life. In the, in fact, that we were born for this. You need to understand this. The church and the, and when the world is, hey, hey, in these last days, and I don't deny we are in the last days, what we need is a church that's not confused. We need a church that's full of clarity and destiny and understanding and realize, hey, that we were born for this. And the whole world will begin to get confused and, and distracted and in, unstable. In fact, that first Corinthians passage in first Corinthians 14, God's not the author of confusion. It is, it really reads this. God's not the author of instability and disorder. Listen, in the, in the confu, in the, in the world we live in, I do, do you understand? Do you understand? Uh, and I'm not political. I'm not very good with politics at all. But do you understand that our whole world is 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 a powder keg? Have you watched the news lately? Everybody said God's in charge, and the church. The church has to be that voice of clarity in the middle of a confusing world. And then number three, Nehemiah and the people of God, especially Nehemiah, dealt with compromise. Nehemiah chapter six, you know, when Sanballat and Tobiah couldn't get, get them, and they, they tried to get them... Uh, they tried to demean them, and I don't have time to read through the whole book. They tried to put fear in them. They tried to put doubt in them, uh, and they just called them. They said, if a fox came on this wall, he'd knock it down. You're never going to do that. You're never going to do that, and all kinds of things. And so when they couldn't do that, they tried to get uh, uh, Nehemiah off the wall. 
In chapter 1, it says, Now it happened when Sanballat and Tobiah, Geshem, the Abraham, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there was no breaks left in it, uh, though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, listen carefully, here's our enemies, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain, in the plain of Ono, O-N-O. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave and it go down to you? But they sent me this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. I'm telling you what they were trying to do, get him to compromise the call of God on his life. Let me just throw this out. I've said it before when I've read this passage of scripture. When the enemy in the middle of you fulfilling God's purpose for your life, invites you to the valley of Ono. That ought to be a sign. Because when you get to the valley of Ono, if you go, you're going to go, oh, no. And so if the devil invites you to the valley of Ono, don't go. Because you'll end up saying, oh, no. So don't go, but you just say this, devil, I'm not going to the valley of oh no. Oh no, devil. I'm not falling for that trick. I'm not going to compromise the miracle of God to sit down and have a convo with someone who wants to do me much harm. Listen, finishing unfinished business, there will always be contention. So we've got to realize that and be able to stand in the face of adversity, in the face of great distress, in the face of great confusion, in the face of uh, uh, temptation just to compromise and say, I'm not coming down. I'm not falling for that compromising spirit. There's unfinished business that all of us have in our life. And we've got to do whatever it takes to finish what God started in our lives. So let me give you today's life lesson. There's a lot we can learn. In fact, there's a lot of leadership lessons you can learn from Nehemiah, but I want you to get this one. I'm going to read it. I want you to listen to it. And then I'm going to ask you to read it and take a picture of it, whatever, and write it down. The call of God upon us will go unfinished around us if we do not set our hands and minds to the work he has before us. Therefore, let us rise up and build and finish the work he has for us to do. I want to read it again. I want you to listen. The call of God upon us will go unfinished around us if we do not set our hands and minds to the work he has before us, therefore let us rise up and build and finish the work he has for us to do. Very simple. There's unfinished business. I think there's something God wants to do in our life that, we've, that have gone unfinished because we, we've resisted his hand upon us. Man, I want to come to the... Ooh, Jesus, I want to come to the place where I tell people, I can tell people, I'm feeling something on this. I missed this earlier. 
I told them about the good hand of God upon me. And the work that he put me to be about the business of doing. Father, we thank you for Nehemiah's obedience to the call of God. And as a result, the good hand of God upon him to be the mastermind behind your plan to see the walls rebuilt and the gates restored. Thank you, Lord. Now for us today, we pray that you would help us with the unfinished business of the church, the unfinished business of our personal lives, the investment we have for those that need Christ. Help us be ambassadors for the cause of Christ. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Let's read this together out loud. The call of God upon us will go unfinished around us if we do not set our hands and minds to the work he has before us. Therefore, let us rise up and build and finish the work he has for us to do. That's simple but true. Amen. Let's stand together today.